Is does. Anybody need a fresh start? No? Nobody needs a fresh start? I always need a fresh start. Say this with me. Jesus is a God of new beginnings. I want to welcome everybody watching by live stream. I want to encourage you all to share the stream. It's a new year, so we need a new beginning. And as I'm like been studying the scripture on this and trying to look at different verses uh, related to uh, starting over and new beginning and things like that, I know this is like a meta theme in scripture. Thanks, man. All right. I like the hair. I didn't even recognize you with your hair, man. My wife's like, you always like people's hair. And I'm like, probably because I don't have enough of it. That's probably why. I'm like, man, if I had that hair... I'd be doing braids too, man. I'd be, yeah. Anyway, another story. So as I've been looking through the verses, and you know, a lot of these verses, there's there's different themes in the Bible. There's smaller themes, there's bigger themes, and then there's what's called meta theme, and it's like a major piece of what God's really all about. And one of those major pieces in the Bible, a meta theme, is new beginning, starting over. The Lord is the He is the God of the new beginning. And I think he looks at us sometimes and he realizes uh, how much we need new beginnings. You say, how do you know that? Because he says, my mercies are new every morning. And he looks at us and says, man, you guys, are, you guys need all the help you can get. I'm not going to make my mercies new every week. None of you would make it. I'm going to make my mercy new every morning. So every day with Jesus, we get a fresh start. Everything starts over. But as I'm looking at these verses, I started seeing verses that I'd never seen before on Fresh Start and on New Beginning. And I'm going to share with a few of them with you. Um, I mean, I know there's a lot of it there, but I just had, I kept seeing these different verses. I was like, wow, I never looked at it like that. I never saw it like that. And you know, one of the things about the Word of God is um, David said, how unsearchable are the depths of your Word, O Lord. You can literally spend a lifetime studying the Scripture and never really see the fullness of the meaning that exists there. It's layers upon layers and depth upon depth. And, you know, no matter how many times or how many years I've looked, I've studied the, the scripture, uh, there's always something new for me. And that's, that's what I love about the Lord is it's endless. It's not, you, you know, okay, we know it all now. Let's all go home. We know it all. It's, it's not ending. So Zechariah 10, 6, the Lord says, I will strengthen Judah, my people of praise. So one of the things about that verse is praise gives us strength. I will save the tribes of Joseph. The people of my faithfulness, I will restore them. Faithfulness brings restoration. As we're faithful to the Lord and we follow his ways, restoration comes into our life. It's crazy. I will have compassion on them. They will be as though they were never rejected. I will give them a new beginning. People rejected you, been rejected. Jesus is going to give you a new beginning. For I am the Lord their God. I will answer them and I will never abandon them. Aren't you happy about that? You're never abandoned. Everybody can abandon you. The Bible says if your mother and father abandon you, I will never abandon you. He'll never abandon you. When you belong to the Lord, he never leaves you, he never forsakes you, he's with you. I'm with you always. I'm with you always, even till everything ends, the end of the age. I'm with you. You're never alone. Your cat can abandon you. You know, your dog, he may, like, he may not like you anymore. Your wife and kids, you know, they're like, get out of here, dude. You may not even like yourself. People give up on you, but the Lord never gives up on you. You give up on you. Anybody with me? Anybody ever given up on yourself? 
And most of the people were only satisfied with his presence. They were satisfied with proximity, just being close to him. You see, with the disciples, you got 12 disciples sitting at a table. Only one wanted his heart. Uno. Peter thought he was great because he was in proximity. I'm sitting next to him. Woo! John had his head on his chest. Why have proximity when you can know the person of Jesus? And this is what we're called to do. We're called to be transformed into his likeness and image. You are called to decrease. He is called to increase. Your nature is to pass away, and you're to begin to adopt the mindset, the attitude, the heart set of the Lord. And that takes work. That takes process. One of the things that the nature of the Lord is, say it with me, he is now now forward. forward. This is how the Lord works. Lord isn't dealing with the past. He's dealt with the past. He'll heal your past. This is, this is different. Now, healing the past isn't, isn't, is different than living in the past. He, he, he wants to deal with you now, and he wants to move you forward. This is where he's at. He doesn't want to leave you the same. God is right now, let's move forward. Right now, let's move forward. He is always that way. His nature is now forward. His kingdom is now forward. He doesn't stay the same. He doesn't stay the same. And so it's important that you understand that, that God is wanting to do something in your life right now, and the Lord is wanting to move your life forward. Who does that? I don't think I even love me that way. I don't look at my life and go, hey, I want to do something in my life right now, and I want to move forward. But that's how he sees me. He says, let's do this now, Kevin, and let's move forward. Let's do this now, and let's move forward. That's how the kingdom works. So if you're going to move forward this year, and God wants you to move forward, he wants you to move forward as a person, he wants you to grow as a person, he wants you to grow in your faith, he wants you to grow in every, every arena, the five key arenas of your life, it's your faith, your family, your friendships, your finances, and your future. Those are the five key areas of your life. Those are the areas that you, you basically, all of your decisions are made in that realm, and then you spend the rest of your time dealing with those decisions. So he wants you to move forward in those areas. Who do you want to be this year? As a believer, as a Christian, as a son, as a daughter, who do you want to be? You know, do, do you want to be, you know, clueless or do you want to be clued in? Do, do you want to, do you want to leave, leave the average and become the exceptional because that's what you're called to? Who do you want to be as a believer? What do your friendships look like this year? Are you going to be around people who take you higher or are you going to be around losers, right? Are you going to be around the familiar or are you going to move into the unknown? That's the question. What do you want this year? Pick one or two areas of those life. Family. Some of you are like, well, what's my relationship with my family? I'm not married. Well, believe God for a family. All right? Begin to believe God. Make yourself marriable and do the thing and get, you know, get it going. Let's go. Saddle up. Another story. I keep wanting to lean into relationships, but I'm pulling away. You know, your future, where do you want to be? Where do you want to be next year? 2025, where do you want to be? Do you want to be alive in 2025? The roar of 24 is going to make you alive in 25. Where do you want to be? Where do you want to be 12 months from now? If you don't change, nothing's going to change. You're going to be exactly the same. Time is going to pass. Whether you want it to pass or not, it's going to pass. If you want change, you have to see where you want change. Of those five areas, pick one. Pick one and begin to align that area of your life with the kingdom and pursue it. Where do you want to be with your finances in 2025? Where do you want to be? You know, you say, well, I want to be this. That might take you more than one year to get there, but you need to align your finances with what God says about money. Yeah? Not what uh, Dr. Phil says about Who's that guy that does a really loud, obnoxious guy? He's on uh, CNBC or something like that. Kramer. 
Is it Kramer? Yeah. Yeah, not what Kramer says. The guy that smacks the horn and all that stuff. You align yourself that way. So say it with me. If I want to move forward, if I want to first start, say it with me. I have to stop making excuses. Let's just pause there, and then let's just say the obvious. Ouch. There you go. We got that out of the way. That's painful, I know. You have to stop making excuses. You know, the thing about the Bible is it's filled with people who made excuses. So if you make excuses, and we all do, you're no different than the, the, all the people that God used in the Word. Moses made excuses, didn't he? Moses like, go do this. He's like, oh, man, you know, Lord, you know, I don't know if I can. You know, I can't talk. I can't this. He made all these excuses. He did not want to go and do what Jesus was telling him to do. He had all the excuses in the world. And the Lord said, I am with you. That's the common theme of all of the excuses. It's not about you. It's about me. It's not about what you have and don't have. It's about who you have. Who you have. Who you have can do anything with what you have. Let's just say that. Who I have can do anything with what I have. He takes them up to the river, up to the Red Sea. They're standing there, and the Lord's like, hey, what do we got? What are we working with here? We working here. Moses is like, I got a stick. The Lord's like, cool, hold it out over the water. He's saying, does anybody have anything that they want to offer me? Has anybody got anything? We got a bunch of people here, Jesus. We got to feed them. They're going to pass out. You know, we're going to have, you're going to have a bunch of dead people on your hands, and you're going to be raising the dead in mass because these people have nowhere to go. And Jesus is like, okay, what are we working with here? What do we got? And say, well, we got a basket of fish and chips. That's about what we got. Loaves and fishes, you know what I'm talking about? You guys read your Bible, right? You guys, you guys read, right? Yeah, so fish and chips. We got a bunch of fish and chips. And Jesus, who you have can do anything with what you have. What do you have? What do you have? Extend it to me. Give it to me. And so Moses made excuses. Jeremiah's one of my favorites. Jeremiah made excuses. Lord tells Jeremiah, I got a ministry for you, Jeremiah. Jeremiah's like, yeah. And he's like, here's the ministry. You're going to go to people. And Jeremiah's like, I don't like people. And the Lord's like, that's great because they're not going to like you. So Jeremiah had to work with people. He didn't like people. And the Lord already told them, they're not going to like you. And he had all the excuses in the world. And he said, I don't care if you don't like people, Jeremiah. You're going to do it anyway. And by the way, they're not going to like you. So get over it. Get over yourself. Get over your circumstances, get over your excuses, and move forward. Here's another one, Gideon. Gideon's an amazing one, right? God chooses a coward. He's going to deliver the nation with a coward. Gideon's in a wine press, eating grain in a wine press. Say it with me. In the wrong place, doing the wrong thing. The Lord shows up, says, man of valor. Gideon's kind of like... There's nobody here but you and me. You talking to me? He's like, yeah, I want to deliver the nation with you. He's like, man, Lord, you know, I'm a coward, man. I mean, I know I may not look like a chicken, but I, I, I'm a chicken. And the Lord chose him anyway. Chose him anyway. He said, doesn't matter if you're a coward. Doesn't matter if you like people. You don't like people? Oh, well, you're going to do it. I'm with you. You're a chicken, you're a coward, you're fearful, you're scared of your own shadow, you're hiding, don't want the world to see you, meager, right? diminished, 
Diminished in your value, diminished in your identity. Yeah, you're seeing yourself the wrong way, Gideon. You see yourself this way. You are a man of valor. You are a man of valor. There's greatness in you. You just don't know it. <laughs> Jeremiah, you don't like people? That's great, because I'm going to use you to say things that nobody wants to hear. And you know why? Because you're going to say it, and you're not going to care what they think about you. So I got to use a guy who doesn't like people, because that way I can say things that, know, that, that, that need to be said. And I need a person who's not all into his feelings and afraid to say what time it is. They didn't like Jeremiah. Jeremiah's a crazy story, man. I mean, crazy story. They beat him. They threw him in a pit. They tied him in stocks. I mean, that guy went through hardship. Hardship. And he's like, if I didn't like people before, I really don't like people now, you know? Gideon, that's a crazy story, too, when you look at that. I, I love that story. I mean, we read it like it's this heroic tale. Gideon, the mighty man. Like Gideon's a chicken. He's a coward. He's freaked out. How'd you like him as your leader? It's like my wife talked about when we were in um, uh, Belfast. She did a, she did a great message on, um, on leadership. And she talked about Moses. And Moses led the people to a dead end. And she's like, that's your leader. The guy who leads you and leads you to a dead end, right? It's crazy. I, don't, I can't even do what she did. She did a great message. I was like, wow, that was great. So she teaches different than I do, clearly. But, but you know, here you have Gideon. Gideon's like, hey, guys, gather around. We're going to deliver the nation, you know? Had 10,000. God reduces them down to 350. It's like, I don't need 10,000. I don't need 10,000 to make a movement. 10,000 is just noise to me. 10,000 is just distraction to me. I give me 350 whose hearts are committed and watch what I do. I'll, I'll throw everything off. I'll throw the shackles off the entire region with 350. Doesn't matter what you face. I can use what you have. He said, I'm not interested in fans. I'm interested in followers. I'm interested in people that will buy into this calling. I'm, I want buy-in. That's what he wanted. He wanted buy-in. He didn't want everybody looking good, everybody in their uniform, everybody flexing. Yeah, we the army of God. I was like, you're the army of God? I don't think so. And he sent them all home. He didn't need them. He didn't want them. And then he puts a chicken at the front of the army, right? They don't even have swords. They, read the story. They, I mean, I remember when I first read that story, I'm like, this cannot be serious. They have a pitcher with a, with a lamp and a stick. And they stand up on a hill and yell, right? There's the voice again. Yell into the, enemy into the enemy's camp. The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And then they're supposed to smash the pot and rush the opposing army. That sounds like a plan, doesn't it? I'd be like, are you freaking crazy, man? Are you crazy? You know what I mean? These are Syrians out here. These are, these are Philistine wars. These are guys who have been training their whole life. This is a warrior culture we're facing. We're a bunch of farmhands, and you're telling me that we're going to come out crackpot? You know, you're gonna come, we're going to come out there with a bunch of crackpots, and we're going to rush the army? And that's exactly what happened. Who would follow that? Nobody that wasn't bought in, I can tell you that. And I think what the Lord was doing was silencing the voice of cowardice. He didn't want to hear it. 
He didn't want to hear it. He, didn't, he wanted to hear people who, didn't love they, who, didn't, who did not love their lives dear, they didn't hold them dear to themselves. He wanted people that were all in. What, if I say it, they'll go. And he said, all the rest of these guys, they're going to murmur, and they're going to say something against me. And I'm not interested in working with the people that, just, that have something to say against me. I'm not interested in working with the people that want to challenge what I say. I just need you to do it. I just need you to do the job. You have to give up your excuses. Gideon made excuses. Lord's like, too bad, dude. Self-limiting beliefs. Here's our excuses. I don't have what it takes. Duh. None of us do. We don't have what it takes. You're not smart enough. I mean, man is always trying to, and I think we should equip ourselves and make ourselves as good as we can. But no matter how many resources you have, it's not enough. No matter how much education you have, it's not enough. It's never going to be enough. No matter how strong you are, it's not enough. You're never created to be enough. You are not enough. You say, you're enough. No, you're not. No, we're not. No, you're not. Jesus is enough. And it's you with him. That's what brings this about. You cannot act independently of the Lord. Life teaches us that, doesn't it? Doesn't matter how, thing, how strong we think we are, weakness will be proven to us. Doesn't matter how smart we are, foolishness will be proven to us. And so this whole thing is meant for you to connect with the Lord. You should equip yourself and make yourself as good as you can, but you should submit those things unto God and you let him use them. Let him maximize them. You don't have what it takes. Let me look in the camera. You don't have what it takes, but Jesus does. You know, watch these messages and you're like, you got what it takes. I watch these guys say this in the camera, these pastors, and I'm like, that's not biblical. You, nowhere does it say, we are, not, we are not sufficient. Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. Paul says, we are not sufficient in ourselves. Our sufficiency is not within ourselves. It doesn't say you have what it takes. It says you don't have what it takes. It says we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the glory may be from God and not from us. Again, you don't have what it takes. He has what it takes. And in that communing partnership with him becomes the overcoming power. The communing partnership with your life and his creates the overcoming power. You, you can't do anything without him. Jesus in the morning, Jesus in the noontime, Jesus when the sun goes down. All in. Jesus, 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 Jesus. <laughs> you don't have what it takes. It's not about you. Here's another excuse. I've failed. Everybody say it with me. Duh. Everybody's failed. You know the greatest innovations come out of failure? Innovation, nothing in, innovative comes out of, out of when, when everything is up and to the right, nothing changes. Innovation comes out of failure. You know why we have a light bulb? Because somebody failed 10,000 plus times to give us a light bulb. Thomas Edison didn't create the incandescent light bulb on the first rip. It took him over 10,000. How many times would you do that? You know what I'm saying? Bulb keeps breaking. You gotta, and it wasn't like they had a manufacturing. They had to put the bulb together, put it together, boom, blows again. I mean, you know, after a couple hundred times, we'd all be like, hey, you know, we tried. I don't think it's going to work. This, this dude did 10,000 times. He knew it was in a matter of time. He knew he was going to get it right. He learned 9,999 times things that didn't work. That's what you do when you fail. You learn what didn't work. You fail. Of course you fail. Say this. I am not the prisoner of my past. I may be a product of my past, but I am not a prisoner to my past. I am not a victim. I am a victor. This is what is true. Amen. 
Say this, no one can hold me in the past except me. You know, your emotions may hold you there, but nothing can physically and spiritually hold you there. And you can heal the emotions of the past, and then you truly go free. True. The Lord says this, do not cling to the events of the past. Do not dwell on what happened long ago. Watch for what I am doing, for I am doing a what? Anybody know that? New thing. I'm doing a new thing, and it is happening right now. Just look around, and you will see that it is starting now. Remember what I said he is? He's now forward. Fresh start, new thing right now. Doesn't matter. He's got something new. He's got something good. Another thing that, that, that happens to us is we, we don't want to look at what we failed. We don't want to acknowledge that we failed. Sometimes we don't want to look at that. The Bible says this, a person who does not admit their mistakes will never be successful. But if you confess and forsake your mistakes, you get another chance. If you don't want to look at your mistakes, you're never going to be successful. What's the definition of stupid? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. That's what stupid is. Forrest Gump, stupid is as stupid does. You guys know what I'm talking about? You keep doing the same thing over and over again, and you think it's going to work out differently. It's not. Happens in relationships all the time. You know, women date the same kind of guy, and they get the same results. Men date the same kind of woman, and they get the same results. And it's like, what's going to be different this time? Is it? Is it? I don't think so. <laughs> Just saying. Just saying, you know, but we have to do things differently. Say, if I want what I never had, I must do what I've never done. Einstein said the level of thinking, the, level of our, the current level of our thinking is not sufficient to solve the current level of our problems. Our thinking is not sufficient to solve the problems. We have to change the way that we think. Most of the problems that happen are because of choices. Choices happen because of the paradigms and the way that we see things and the way that we believe. It's true. You believe you have to do it all by yourself. Who told you that? Who told you that? And it's not, you know, kingdom, kingdom teaches you that you don't have to do it by yourself, nor are you expected to do it by yourself. You know, that's, that's kingdom thinking. Cultural thinking says you've got to be independent. You've got to be a self-made man, self-made woman. That's not true at all. It doesn't work. How do you know? I've tried. Trust me, I've tried. I've tried in some very artistic and creative ways to do that, and it doesn't work. And the Lord's like, with me, Kevin, without me. With me, without me. With me. Without me, with me, without me. You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you guys are really quiet. Super quiet. So some of the excuses and other excuses, not the right time. Say it with me. Who told me that? Who told you it's not the right time? It's never the right time. It's never the right time. If you wait until the perfect time, you will do nothing. Ecclesiastes 11 tour. You're pursuing something that's not correct. This happens a lot of times. People get engaged. Like, oh, we're going to get married. We're going to get married. We're going to get married. It's like when we're waiting for the perfect time. There is no perfect time. It doesn't exist. There's no perfect time. I got engaged to my wife. When talking to my pastor, he's like, get married before the end of the year. This is like September. He's telling me to get married by December. So he told me. He's like, I know you both. I know you guys have been around here a long time. He's like, I don't, you know, you should not prolong this engagement. It's like, if you're called to be together, you know, pray about it. You guys have prayed about this. You guys have fasted. You guys feel called to be together because God calls you to be together. You know, he connects hearts. Eh? It's the 80-20 rule. 80% connected, 20%, you're never going to be connected. And, you know, I've been married a long time, so we've narrowed that gap now. 
We've narrowed that gap down, so it's not as quite as 20%. But nonetheless, he told us to get married by the end of the year. We didn't make it. We made it in February. It wasn't the right time. We lived in a studio apartment. I lived on a futon. I ate macaroni and cheese and tuna fish. Hallelujah. <laughs> then we were married. And once we were married, we were pregnant within six months. And I say we, because I got pregnant with her. Yeah. I was a size 30 when I got married, and I'm freaking out. I don't know what to do, Jesus. <laughs> She's like, are you at the donut store again? No. <laughs> Too close? Too close? It's, always, it's never the right time. Don't give up and act helplessly in times of trouble. Don't give up. Don't quit. You're not helpless. No matter what's happening to you, you are not helpless. You're not helpless. You're not helpless. Do not act helplessly in times of trouble. I was talking first service. I say it here all the time. God doesn't recognize you as a victim. He recognizes you only as a son and daughter or as a victor. He doesn't see you as a victim. He doesn't view you that way. What moves God is not victimization. What moves God is faith. Faith moves him. Victimization does not. Does not. You see it. You see it in the scripture. Again, the scripture's our model. It says, God, the Lord says in Corinthians that the, these things are laid out for us as examples. If God can use a coward, he can use you. If God can use a stutterer, he can use you. If God can use a person who hates people, he can use you. He can use you. It's an example. And so you see it in, even in Scripture, too. You see Joshua going into the promised land. He takes God for granted. He does it his way, right? First appearance of Frank Sinatra's in the book of Joshua. Joshua goes out and does it his way. He doesn't need the Lord, and everything falls apart. And he's laying on the ground. Oh, we failed. We're such losers, Lord. We're just losers. We're total losers. You've abandoned us. Oh. <laughs> he's crying. The Lord comes to him. Anybody know the first two words he says? Get up. So Jesus doesn't come and lay down on the floor and say, let me cry with you for a little while, Joshua. Let me feel your empathy. Let me know. Let me just roll around. Oh, I know. I know you fail. Oh, I know the pain of your failure. I know the pain. Again, that's not his nature. His nature is not like that. We think that's what Jesus does. We think human need moves him. Human need doesn't move him. Faith moves him. And he stands, yes, hallelujah, this is truth. You know what moves us? Human need. We are moved by empathy. He is not. He is moved by compassion, a willingness to make you, your life better. That is rooted in love. He's not moved by your current situation. What moves him is when you have the faith in him to change your circumstance. When you have the faith in him, do you read it all the time? Read how Jesus reacted. Read how he healed people. He, read what happened. He, the Syrophoenician woman's need didn't heal him, didn't heal his, her daughter. He wasn't moved by her need. My daughter's dying. He's like, you know what Jesus said? So what? Read the story. I know we don't want to see Jesus this way, but this is who he is. Because he wasn't looking for that. She comes to him, my daughter's dying. Have compassion on my daughter. And the Lord's like, so what? The bread's not for you. The bread is for the children. I owe you nothing. Imagine Jesus saying that to someone coming to him and asking for healing, and he says, I owe you nothing. Why are you asking me? This doesn't belong to you. This isn't your right. And the woman said, and he said, you don't give what is holy to dogs. 
And he said, the bread belongs to the children. It doesn't belong to you. He said, you're a dog. I don't know you. Jesus called someone a dog. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And she said, yes, Lord. She called him Lord, but even dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the table. And you know what the Lord said? This girl's got faith. She knows what I am. She knows who I am. And she sees me and knows that I'm willing, generous, and capable. You have what you ask. He gave it to her. Jesus wasn't moved. He moved, was moved by faith with the centurion. Wasn't the need. Jairus' daughter, all the whalers. Remember when he goes to Jairus' house? And he had everybody crying. <laughs> Everybody's crying. I mean, it was a cry storm. Tears flying. You know, probably all kinds of tears. Sideways tears. Shooting tears. Raining tears, snot tears, every kind of tear you could imagine for this little girl was going on. And you know what Jesus said? Put him out of the room. Put him out of the room. He didn't start going, I ah, know. Ah, 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 <laughs> she was such a good little girl. He said, I don't have time for this. Put her out of the room. Put him out of the room. Read the story. He said, She's not dead, she's sleeping. And they mocked him. They showed no faith. And he said, ah. It's like the door's right there. Out of the room. He said, bring me the mother and father. Talitha Kumai. He raised the girl. He did it over and over again. Over and over again. But he did it by faith. He didn't do it by human need. Read the story. He walked past, he walked past people all the time. He walked right past them until they expressed faith. Bartimaeus is one. The woman with the issue of blood, all those people touching him and leaping over him and, you know, smacking on him when he's walking. The only one that was healed was the woman with the issue of blood because she had faith. She had faith. And she was willing, that she was willing to sacrifice her own dignity to reach for what was hers. Yep. Price of revival's dignity, Christian. We think human need moves the Lord. It does not. It does not. What would happen when human need shifts? When we shifted from human need to faith? What would happen? Kingdom would move. But we're not trained that way. Our churches don't operate that way. Oh, God. Oh, God. Sister Susie, she's been so good to you. Oh, Lord, she's been in church. Oh, oh, oh. For 20 years she's been in church. We just ask for a drop of your mercy and compassion. If it be thy will, Lord, if it be thy will, if it only is your will, we ask for a drop of mercy and compassion to touch her today. Nothing happens. Well, it wasn't the Lord's will. And they walk out. We got a guy here in first service, stage four cancer, right? I'm going to put the brother in hospice. I've been working with him on and off. What before? So that he's been, but he's been back now. So we just prayed for him again in first service. Oh, he, had, he had cancer in his bones. He had cancer in his neck, cancer in his whole body. You know what he's got now? A little bitty tumor in his coma. Yeah. Jesus, if it be your will. Tom's adopted two little girls, Lord. Oh, oh, what would these little girls do without him, Lord? That's not the prayer. The prayer is you're a son of the highest. Healing is your birthright. What right does the devil have to touch a son of the highest? What right does the devil have to infiltrate and penetrate and cancerize I don't know if that's a word, but it's the word I'm using. Cancerize the temple of the Holy Spirit. What is his right? What is his right? Let's find his right and let's throw him out the door. Yeah. His bones were so brittle, they had him in a, bra in a brace. 
almost in traction. His bones were so brittle from the cancer. His neck had broken. He couldn't, his, he had his, for, for just broke. They had it in a brace and the whole nine, you know. And I said, do you believe it? I said, he said, yeah. I said, I'm going to work with you. So it ain't going to be easy. I said, but we're going we're gonna to throw it down. We're not, we're not praying for prayers. We're not praying prayers of pretty, pity. We're praying prayers of power. Amen. Yeah, we're not praying victim prayers. We're sons and daughters. When Job had problems, you think you got problems? Oh, I got problems, man. I got problems. Nobody knows, Pastor. Nobody knows. Job had problems. You got problems like Job. The Lord shows up. Job's got problems. You know what happens? The Lord shows up, and what's he say to Job? Anybody know that story? Sit up. Sit up, Job. Lord appears. Sit up. Stand up like a man. That's what he said. And I will inquire of you. Isn't that interesting? I shared this first service. We all want to inquire of God. Lord, why? What's going on here? We all want to inquire of the Lord. Lord shows up, and you know what he wants to do? He wants to inquire of Job. Stand up before me like the son that you are, and I'm going to ask you some questions. I'm going to ask you some questions. Huh? Next time you want to inquire of God, next time you're calling on the Lord, let him come and inquire of you. Let him inquire of you. You're asking me this question? You see that even all in the scripture. Lord, we, why have we fasted and you've not heard? Why have you looked? Why we have sackcloth on, Lord? We've fasted. We look miserable. We're howling in the wind. We look like, we look like poor, pathetic people. Why do you not see us? And the Lord said, I'm going to inquire of you. You think that moves me? You think I'm moved by that? You think your pathetic look on your face is what makes me move on your behalf? And he starts asking them questions. And he starts pointing to their faithlessness. He starts pointing to the places where they have broken covenant with him. And he shows them that the absence of your covenant and the absence of your identity and the unwillingness of you to be faithful to me has caused this to come upon you. I have no part in this. Yeah. So the question isn't, Lord, why are you doing it? Your question is, Lord, where's the open door in my life that is allowing this to do this? The question is, Lord, where is the disobedience in my life that is allowing this to happen? Not what are you doing? Because he wants nothing for you but blessing and goodness. He, has, wants, not, he wants everything for you. His whole desire is to bring you into the fullness of his kingdom and to manifest the goodness of his glory. He wants you to be a people like no other on the planet. He wants our righteousness to shine like new day, noonday. Imagine that you could recognize a Christian off the rip not by our little jiggly ju uh, jargon, you know. Oh, bless God, brother, hallelujah. Our, our haircuts and our suits and ties or whatever it is, you know, our starched attitudes. That's a Christian. Or the way we clutch our Bible. What if you could recognize a Christian just because of the presence on their life, the favor? You could just go, that dude's a believer. How do you know? I can see it. He manifesting kingdom. He's manifesting glory. I mean, you can just see it wherever this guy goes. He walks in the room and there's atmospheres changing. They touch things and they prosper. What would happen then? That's what God wants for you. And when the people suffered, he would inquire of them. Sit up, Job, and let me inquire of you. You want to inquire of me? You got some questions for me? Fantastic. Let's start with you. Let's start with you, Job. You want to ask of me? Great. Let's ask of you. We don't want that. You know what I've learned? I've learned I welcome this. I welcome it. I have been more transformed by the Lord inquiring of my life than ever before. I don't fear what he says to me because I know he only wants my good. 
I, I want him to speak into my life. I want him to tell me where I'm off. I want him to tell me where I'm wrong. I want him to, I don't hide. I have no self-will. My will is his will alone. And if it's not, then show me where I'm off, Lord. This is what we have to become. This is who we are supposed to be. We, we, we've got to make a shift. This is kingdom gospel. This is real Christianity I'm preaching to you. This is the real stuff. This isn't the, you know, the packaged, fluffy, you know, teddy bear stuff. This is the real stuff. Real stuff. God wants to bless you. Amen. Man, take inventory of your life, personal inventory. You got to take inventory. If you want to change, you got to take inventory. Say it with me. We all have the same thing. Doesn't matter what your circumstances is. You hold the keys of change. Say it with me. I have the keys of change. You know what every one of you has? I say it all the time. You say it with me. I have seed and I have season. In the book of Genesis, God says, so long as the earth remain, there will be seed time and harvest, summer and winter. Season, seed and season. Seed and season is placed out on the front of Genesis because it is transformational power. There's a lot of different layers to seed and season but one of its keys one of the keys to understanding season season is transformation transformation most people despise their seed and they despise their season they despise what they have in their hand and they despise the season that they're in and they not they never learn to use what they have in their hand and they never learn to understand the season that they're in and what they're supposed to be doing in that season what are the seasons? Well, it's like, look at summer, winter, uh, springtime, and fall. What is it? Is that right? No. <laughs> springtime, summer, went fall, and winter. That's more, that's more correct. So it doesn't matter. And I, was talking, I shared this first service. The, the only season where there's really rest is winter. All of the other three seasons, you're working. So if you think you're going to harvest the things of this kingdom and manifest the kings of the kingdom and not have to do anything, you're wrong. You're wrong. Most people say, I'm in a winter time, I'm in a winter time. Oh, I've been in a winter time so long. It's been so long, I've been in a winter time. Winter time is the season where you can rest, reflect, renew, and refocus. That's what winter is for. Some of you are in that season right now. You're in a season where you don't have anything. You're in a season where you're, where you're in the gap. You don't know which way to go, what to do. It's the season where you rest, renew, refresh, and refocus refocus or you can lay there and cry like a baby and springtime will come it'll pass you by summer will come harvest will come there'll be nothing to harvest and you'll go right back into winter you'll stay in a perpetual state of winter because you don't discern the season that you're in spring is when you're sowing spring is when you're investing spring is when you're taking what you have and doing something with what you have say this we all have the same thing that's right, we're all equals. God gives transformative power to us on an equal basis. You know what you have? Every one of you has the same seed. It's called time. T-I-M-E, time. What you do with the seed of time will determine where you come, where you go. What you do with the seed of time will determine where you will be. It will determine the, the future and the seasons and the changing. What, what, to, what can you do with time? You can become a different person if you use your time correctly. Some of you, you waste your seed. You hang out with idiots. It's true. Say it with me, I can't soar with the eagles if I'm rolling with the turkeys. Some of y'all are rolling with turkeys, man. Nothing's gonna happen. You're wasting your time. You're wasting your seed. You need to associate with people who think bigger than you. 
Yes, who think higher than you. And even if you don't know that person personally, you can do it through books. You, there's plenty of ways to be mentored by someone who's higher. I had a guy one time, I met this guy, uh, well, you know, whatever. But I, I don't want to say his name, but I, I met this guy and, and, and um, I had an opportunity to meet him. It was a great story. But he'd say, he would say things like this. He's like, you want to have a coffee? You want to have coffee with me every morning? You know, and you're thinking, yeah, I'd love to have coffee with you every morning. He goes, my book's right over there on the counter. He's like, pick up my book. Get yourself a cup of coffee, and you can have coffee with me every single morning. That's what he would say. The guy had a lot of books. He'd written a lot of things like that. In other words, I, I can be mentored. I, I don't need, if you get individual mentorship, hey, hallelujah. But you don't need that. You need to invest the time. Most of us want to waste time. You're wasting your seed. You want something without having to use what you have. Time is the most precious commodity. If you use time correctly, everything can change. If you sow in the springtime and you sow into yourself as a new person and you become a new person and in summer is the season where you fight for what you've sown and you go into summer and you begin to fight to keep yourself on track and do that. In the fall, you begin to harvest this new person. In the wintertime, you come into another winter season. You reflect and you renew and you refocus and you go and you start sowing and doing things that you never did as a new person. Your life's going to change. It's not even about financial resources because if you don't change, nothing's going to change. But if you change, everything will change. This is the point. We despise the seed. We despise the season. Summer's where you fight. This bears saying again as well. <clears throat> you fight for what you've sown. Some of you have sown. You've sown seeds. One of the things that happened in the book of Genesis, Abraham made an offering to the Lord. And when he made an offering to the Lord, it says he went from, the, from sunup to sundown. He drove the birds away. He, he spent all day in the summer heat driving the birds off of his offering. If, yeah, thank you. If you, if you, if you think you're going to sow a seed, make an offering, make a presentation, and the enemy is not going to try to consume it, you don't know what you're talking about. I, I'll give it to you in real time. Moms in the room, parents in the room, you've spent so many years sowing seed into that child. You're sowing seed into that child. And it's a summer season. You haven't seen the harvest, but you know you put the seed in there. And the ravens that exist in the school system and in the public circle, and those birds are trying to consume the ground that you've sown. You have to rise up and be a voice and say, you will not teach my child this. You will not expose my child to this. This is not your job. And if you, if you don't, the birds will consume it. They will consume it. You have to fight for what you've sown. Your children are a big investment. Moms, you know what I asked myself one time? I was looking at my life and I'm like, where did the time go? You know what the Lord told me? You spent 25 years raising kids, Kevin. And I went, do you understand that? So there are moms in this room and there are moms that are watching or dads that are watching and you've spent a huge portion of your life sowing seed into that child. Are you going to let the ravens of a culture destroy it? If you don't, they will. If you don't fight, you're saying, oh, I don't want to go to the, I mean, they, they see, they, I said it before, they'd see me coming, man. She's like, you want to school? I'm like, dang straight, I'm going to school. <laughs> Had a teacher at a, a, one of the charter schools, my son's class, showing pictures of boys' genitals. Oh, you, you, what, you think I'm crazy? 
I don't think you understand what they're teaching in school. I don't think you have any idea what they're teaching. It was a health class and a dude showing pictures. My son told me. He used the word chodes. I don't know if I can say that, but he gets, what is it? Like, he's like, you know, my son was like 10th grade. He's like, yeah, dad. He said, I spent the whole, I spent the whole hour looking at guys' chodes. This is what my son said. I was like, what? And then he tells me the story and he showed all, it was all pictures of male genitals. I about lost it. And the guy's like, oh, it's not that big a deal. I think it's not that big a deal. I said, A, that's child porn. I said, on that guy's computer. I said, B, he's exposing my son to something he should not be exposing him to. Right. The guy freaks out. Yeah. You, my kids are grown. You have to fight for your children. If you don't, I'm telling you now, there, there's things going on that you, it's like you can't even believe what I'm saying. This wasn't that long ago for me. It's worse now. In the whatever short amount of time my kid's been out of school, it's gone up 10 times that. And you sleep while the ravens steal the seed from your, that you have sown of your children. Let's put it in real time. That's, that's looking at seed and season in real time. You have to fight. You say, it's hard. I start sweating. I start sweating. I get sweating with nervousness. You're going to sweat because it's summertime. It's time to fight for what's yours. You have to defend what you have sown, and you're going to sweat. It's going to be hard. All the three, three out of the four seasons, you will work, or you will not. And then, you, then harvest. You go and harvest. You shouldn't cry in harvest time, man. Don't you cry in harvest time. Don't you cry when Jesus gives you a house, Daphne. Don't you cry. You know, and we need to celebrate with each other. When, we re, when, you see us, when you see one harvesting and you see one being blessed, we need to celebrate with each other. Because what he does for one, he'll do for all. Yeah? And we don't cry for harvest. We don't cry in the harvest time because you've worked too hard. You've waited too long for that harvest to come. And you're going to cry now? I mean, you stand on the ground, anybody sow seeds, you're like, you're standing there and you're yelling at dirt. Grow! Seeds in the ground, you're like, grow! <laughs> come on. Don't you cry when harvest comes. And don't you sleep in the harvest. Hmm? If God's given you something to reap, don't you sleep. <laughs> it's true. The Bible says the fool sleeps in the time of the harvest. God's given you something, and he's told you to go harvest it, and you're going to take a nap. <laughs> Clear out the barns. Get rid of what you got. Go get it. I met Oral Roberts a long time ago, and I was when Roberts Learden was here, and we were talking about like he laid his hand on my head, and you know, and uh, it was in a small seminar group or something. I don't even remember. It wasn't a lot of people. I was too young to understand what where I was where I was at, and, but I, he, I remember two things he said. They asked him a question. He was sitting on stage, big dude, and uh, he said, uh, "They said, what, where do you see um, the biggest problems with Christians?" And he said, um, "They don't know who they are, and they leave their harvest in the field." I've built this whole church off those two premises. Your identity and not leaving your harvest in the field. Whatever that harvest is, if it's the harvest of your inheritance, if it's the harvest of your destiny, if it's the harvest of your future, you're going to hear me. I, why? Because here's a man of God who has served God at a deep level, a, an incredible level, has seen things happen that probably very few would ever see, knew the Lord in a way, and in his observation, in his latter days, he was an old man at that time, and he said the biggest problem with the Christian is they have no idea who they are, 
and they leave their harvest in the field. And I said, by God, I'm going to know who I am, and I'm not going to leave my harvest in the field. You know what I'm saying? I don't even know what my harvest is, but I'm not going to leave it in the field. Don't leave your harvest in the field. When God commands you and gives you something to reap, don't you feel bad about it? Well, I don't want to have it because no one else has it, or I'm afraid that somebody's going to think, I mean, go get it. Go get it. Don't let the raven steal your seed, Christian. You've worked too hard for this. Some of you, your marriage, you know, you give up on your marriage and things like that. I get it. Things happen. I'm not, I'm not here saying to say that every marriage is going to work. It, it's, it's like, I get it. It takes two to tango, but don't give up so easily. Some of you, you've sown seed into a business. Don't give up so easily. You have permission to change. You don't have permission to quit. Don't despise the seed and the season. Take inventory of what you have. It doesn't matter if you have zero. Hallelujah. Huh? You don't have much to lose. That's great. Seed and season. Yeah? Make yourself a better person. Change. Change the mentality. Here's another one. Who do you need to become to obtain the things that God has put before you? If you will take time, God will put things before you. Whatever it may be. It can be in any sphere. Right? Any sphere. Economically, socially, relationally. I don't know. Whatever. Some, some sort of meaning, existence, ministry. It can be any one of those spheres. God will put something in front of you. But you cannot have it as the person you are. You cannot have it. You, can, you know why? Because if you were, as the person you are, capable of obtaining it, you would already have it. You must be transformed into another person in order to obtain it. This is another reason why Christians... I, I've asked these questions all my life. We're getting a little extra bonus content here because uh, I, I didn't, second service. So I, I tend to get a little loose in second service. I'm like, I wanted to say this in first service, and I did it. So anyway, so... But, you know, it's, it's, it's like that. You have to become a different person. Who, who do you have to be? You know, it's like the Lord has shown me that I need to be married. Well, guess what? You need to become a different person. Best to start that now. Because it, you, you, you got you to gotta change now. God's told me this is what's going to happen in my house. I, I agree with that. I have no question. Who do I have to be? He's showing me things about my life and our life in the last few years. And, I, and he's been showing me. And it's like it's right there. And he's saying, you can have this, Kevin. It's right there. But you're going to have to make some changes on the back end if you want to sustain it. Because what you are right now cannot sustain what I'm putting in front of you. So there's got to be changes. I have to become a different person. I have to reorient my life. I have to reorient my mentality. I have to reorient the direction of my life. I have to become someone different in order to obtain that. This is important. Otherwise, it's all, it's all, it's all fairyland tales. You know, we hold things up as a myth. I'm not interested in the myth of Christianity. I'm interested in the reality of Christianity. I want kingdom Christianity. I want to talk about what God's going to do. I want to know, I want to experience what God has done and what he is doing. And we all talk about, oh, God's going to do all these great things. I'm like, yeah, he is, but he's going to change you first. He's going to change you first. And if you don't cooperate with the change, then there's going to be an issue. You won't be able to get there. Anybody want to get there? Yeah? You want to get there? Maybe you don't. Maybe, you're, maybe you don't. But maybe, I don't know. I want to get there. I want, I want to get there. You know what I mean? I, you're going to stand before Jesus. Everybody's going to be telling tales about what Jesus did. Don't you want to have a, to a story to tell? Don't you have something? Everybody's sharing stories. Oh, man, the Lord did this. The Lord did that. And you're like, what are you doing in your life? Not much. Not much. What'd you believe him for? Nothing. <laughs> Let's go. Take inventory of what you have. Act in faith. That's the next thing. Faith is the currency of heaven. You have control over the transformation of your life. 
There are character goals, not just activity goals. Become a different person. Act in faith. Become what you've never been. What does it mean to be extraordinary? What does it mean to be a son of the highest? What, what is, I don't know. I don't know what your pursuit is. But you need to set goals this season. Goals that you can attain. You need to make the changes. What kind of person are you called to be? All of that stuff. I won't get too much into that. Renew your mind. Renew your mind. I'll just give you a couple verses because I want to get to this last point. Renew your mind. The Bible says this. One of the ways you renew your mind is with the Lord. It says, be consistently renewed in the spirit of your mind. Have a fresh mental and spiritual attitude. How do you do that? Well, here's one way. Psalm 1 says, happy are those who are meditating upon God's word. They are like trees along a river that do not dry up. And they succeed in everything that they do. You want to succeed in everything that you do? He gives us, this is the Tony Robbins, this is long before Tony Robbins. He tells us the secret of success. Meditate in my word. Lay hold of my promises. Follow me and you will succeed. Everything you do will prosper. Everything you do will succeed. He gives it to us. Guard your hearts, the next thing. Are you, now I asked first service, are you a garbage can? You have to guard your heart, right? If we want to change, we've got to change internally. We've got to change mentally. And then it's like, guard your heart. Are you a garbage can? You shouldn't let people vomit in you. You shouldn't let people dump on you and give you all of their emotional garbage and baggage and problems, right? I mean, right? Yeah, and then you, you don't need that. And then the other thing is unnecessary distractions. Guard what comes into you. Guard what comes into you. I've become an indifferent person. My beloved wife, who is more compassionate, I will give her that, than I am. I can be compassionate, but I find that some things, it's not my, it's not my circus, it's not my monkeys. So I'm not involving myself in that, right? I mean, I'm way more linear. It's like I, I, I see time as something very precious, and I don't want to focus on the non-essentials. I don't have time, you know. Did you hear about the volcanic activity in Iceland? I'm like, yeah, but I don't, what does that have to do with me? You know, I need to follow the Lord. Another story, another day. You have to guard what you put in your heart. If you wake up, I just, I told this story. There was a guy in, um, uh, just, be, this, this is a Christian guy, and the guy who was a friend tells a story, and, and uh, he had like 20, 17 or $18 million, some large amount of money, and he was, you know, in a, investment fund and it was growing and it was growing but this guy was like a news junkie so every day he would just hear the news and listen to the news and so he was living out of a fear-based economy not a faith-based economy so every day he would hear about the market and how everything's going to this and everything's going to that he decided to have his investment guy liquidate all of his money and turn it into cash he put the cash in the bank because that's what his fear-based whatever was making him do or making him feel to do. And the two years after the guy did that, that same investment fund had increased 62%. Had he left his money in there, any say it with me, any decision I make out of fear is always the wrong one. Stop making decisions out of fear. Stop making impulsive decisions out of fear. Some of you, that's your nature. I don't do that anymore. And do you know why? Because I've been burned. I've made a lot of dumb choices out of fear and reactive choices out of fear. I don't do it. I don't do it. I'm like, well, if I die in faith, that's better than living in fear. That's my perspective. So I'm not going to move by fear. I'm going to wait for the answer. If my emotions are racked and jacked and moving all over the place, ah, 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 I'm certainly not going to make an emo I'm making a decision out of that. I'm going to get centered. I'm going to hear the Lord, and I'm going to hear what his counsel is. 
And if it takes me days to hear his counsel, then it takes me days. But I will not make a decision in fear. You can't, if that, fear's always the wrong motive. Decisions made in fear, always the wrong one. So lastly, say this, move in faith. So you're gonna have goals, you have ideas, you're gonna stop making excuses, you're gonna move in a direction that you've never moved in, right? You're gonna take inventory, you're gonna realize what you have, you're gonna stop complaining about what you don't have, you're gonna realize what you do have, you're gonna take a step of faith, you're gonna renew your thinking, you're gonna stop thinking differently, and you're gonna trust God. When you trust God, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna lay this out here because this, this principle that I'm about to show you is a very big principle. It flies in the face of the common teaching. Common teaching is when you start doing something with Jesus, everything just starts working out. It's like butter on a bread, every, you know, some version of that. It always works out. It, it, that's not true at all. That's not true at all. That is complete nonsense. That's not, that's not, that's not what the Bible teaches. So here's Jeremiah. Remember the guy who doesn't like anybody, right? Jeremiah's like, the Lord's like, Jeremiah, why don't you go down to the potter's house? Jeremiah's like, dude, I don't like the potter. I don't like anybody. And like, that's cool, Jeremiah. He's not going to like you either, but I need you to go down there. That's not really in the Bible, but anyway, I'm just telling you. Jeremiah didn't like people, and neither did, they didn't like him either. So he was pretty blunt and to the point. One of my favorite verses in Jeremiah is in, the book of, is in uh, Jeremiah 7. He's standing at the door of the temple, and all the people had been living idolatry, and, and they were just coming religiously, but they were not honoring God. They were completely immersed in paganism. And, Je and Jeremiah is standing at the door going, Do not trust in lying vanities. Do not think that this temple can save you. Do not trust in lying vanities. Do not think that this temple can save you. Standing at the door when people are walking into the temple. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Somebody died 911. This guy's a little cuckoo. You know, he's a little off his rocker. So God says, Jeremiah, go down to the potter's house. I'm going to show you something. And so Jeremiah goes down to the potter's house. And when he goes down to the potter's house, potter's like, hey, dude, I don't like you. He's like, well, I don't like you either. He's like, yeah, I know. God sent me here. So whatever it is you got to do, start showing me. So the potter starts making a pot. And what is God going to show him in making a pot? God's going to show him how he makes a vessel useful. You understand? The Bible speaks a lot about vessels, vessels of honor, vessels that are useful, and vessels that have no use at all. The Lord wants his sons and daughters to be useful vessels. And so he takes a lesson, a metaphor, and he sets it in front of us and says, this is how I make useful vessels. And the potter sits down, and he takes a lump of clay, plop, right on the, the wheel, Right? So when you start partnering with Jesus, this is what happens when people get born again too, the same experience. But if you're going to partner with Jesus, Jesus is going to go, I'm all in, let's partner. He's going to grab your life and he's going to plop it down on the wheel. And you're going to be the clay and you're going to be sitting there and a the potter's going to be in front of you and you're like, I knew this was going to be amazing, Jesus. I've never felt so close to you. You're sitting on the wheel, the potter's right in front of you. I just feel so close to you. I can see you like I've never seen you before. And Jesus says, wait for it. And he starts pumping the wheel and life starts spinning. Yeah? You start partnering with Jesus, and you're like, where'd he go? There he is. Where'd he go? There he is. Where'd he go? There he is. And you lose sight of the Lord. And what happens, there's stages in this development to make people useful. And whatever stage you end at throws you back to the beginning. So if you can't, what happens is as the potter is spinning the clay, sometimes that clay falls right off the wheel, and he's got to start over. 
A lot of Christians start stuff with God and they want to walk with the Lord. And as soon as life starts spinning and start as soon as the reality of his world starts spinning, they fall off the wheel. And so the Lord's got to plop it right back up here. It says, when the, I'll just throw this verse out here. When the clay pot and the potter was forming on the wheel and it didn't turn out the way he intended, he started over. So one, the good news is, is no matter what happens to the pot, God's going to start over with you. That's the good news. Jesus isn't going to start, stop working with you. But what you have to learn is how he works. Remember the conversation about nature? How does the Lord work? This is how he works. He tells us, you're on the wheel, you're spinning. Okay, you stop jumping off the wheel. You're used, you're, now you're, you're used to feeling disoriented. You're going to walk in the spirit. You're going to walk by faith. You will feel disoriented. You will not see all things at all times, and you will not know which direction you're headed in. The world will be spinning, and you'll keep seeing Jesus. Are you there? Yep, I'm here. Are you there? Yep, I'm here. Are you there? Yep, I'm here. That's how life is. Then the potter takes the wheel, and he puts his hands on the clay, and he begins to apply pressure. That's the next step. So once you, get, once you get used to the disorientation and the movement of the wheel of his world, he begins to put pressure on your life. And he begins to squeeze you, squeeze you, squeeze you, and apply pressure to you. Oh, oh you know. He begins to squeeze you. And you know what happens? That clay can't stand the pressure, can't stand the squeezing. And so the clay falls over, like literally plops flops, you know? So you got the plop and you got the flop. So the plop, people can't handle the plop and then they can't handle the flop. When he starts putting pressure on their lives, Christians quit all the time. Too hard, oh, it's too hard. It's too hard, oh, it's too hard. Too hard, can't crack. Bible says if you faint in the day of adversity, your faith is weak. Begin to faint because the pressure is applied and they can't handle the pressure, so they fall apart. Then what the Lord does, okay, now we got the spinning. Now you've learned and adjusted to the pressure. Now I'm going to start stretching your life. I'm going to start drawing you up. You're like, yeah, draw me up. Draw me up. But what he's doing is he inconveniences you. (gasps) He begins to stretch you beyond your limitations, the pressure and the stretching. And he calls you to inconvenience. And Christians can't handle being inconvenient. Oh, don't inconvenience me. Oh, no, 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 I don't have time for that. I don't have time for this. Oh, no, I don't have time for this. Don't inconvenience me. And they can't handle the stretching. They can't handle the inconvenience. They can't handle the reaching and the pulling towards higher things. They can't handle it because it requires something that they didn't have before. And so they fall over. So then he gets, the, then he, then, and most Christians are in one, one stage or another. Very few make it all the way to the end. Very few. And one of the reasons is that they don't, know how, they don't know what the process is. I'm here to tell you the process. You can do with it whatever you want. Some of you are still in the flop. Every time your world starts spinning, you fall apart. Some of you, every time the pressure is applied to you, you fall over. Others, every time your life is inconvenient, you're like, I don't like this. They don't like this. This isn't American Christianity. It's not American Christianity. It's kingdom Christianity. Yeah. <laughs> And you start stretching your life. Now you're used to the stretching. You know what happens when you're inconvenienced a lot? My wife will tell you. You know what happens? You get used to it. You know what happens when there's pressure on your life all the time and there's pressure on my life all the time? You know what happens? I get used to it. I'm used to being stretched and inconvenienced. I'm used to the pressure. I'm used to my world spinning. I'm used to all of that. And once he gets used to that point where he's used to, you're used to being inconvenienced, you know what he does? Pulls up his sleeve and he sticks his hand inside of you. And he starts pulling the junk out. That's what happens. They make a pot. And the potter starts pulling the junk out of the center of the pot. Because the pot can hold nothing if it's still filled with all the junk. 
And you know what happens when people, God starts going in there and pulling out junk? Don't take away my brokenness, Jesus. I don't have any junk. I don't have any junk. No, you got junk. I don't have any junk. You all got junk. And God confronts you with the level of your junk, and he starts pulling your junk out. And we don't like it. And you know what happens when God starts pulling your junk out? Starts exposing you, not to harm you, but to help you to take things out of your life so that he can fill more things in there. And the internal junk, the stuff that exists deep down inside, your fears, your insecurities, your doubts, your hurts, your pains, your shame, your brokenness, that's what he's doing. He's doing it so he can put more in you. But what happens is he's pulling it out. People can't handle it. You know what they do? You know what happens to the pot? It collapses on itself. The pot, it doesn't fly off the wheel. It doesn't tip over. It falls in on itself. None of those things are useful. So then now he gets you to the point where you're able to like, okay, keep taking stuff out of me. I'm, I'm like this. Anything is in me, take it out of me. And he starts taking stuff out of you. Now you can handle that. He's got you to that point. Then he starts to make an ornament out of you. He starts, now we got a pot, we got a shape, we got the junk out, we're ready for the next stage. He starts making the, 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 the pot into an ornament. He puts the handle on, he puts the decorations on, and all that stuff happens. And you know what happens to people? They think they're ready. And they're not. Because they're still just molded clay. Because they've not been tried by fire. You understand that? And so people get all go through all these processes and they get this little ornamentation. They're like, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. You're just molded clay. The next step is fire. What's fire? The heat, the pressure on your character. Can your character handle the fire? Hmm? Are you gonna crack when the heat is on? So what happens to most pots? They crack, they become unuseless. They become useless, useless. And then what happens if the, if the, if the vessel can endure the fire, can endure the issue, can get past the heat and can get past themselves and the narcissism of themselves and thinking that they're whatever it is that they are, like, I'm ready for this, I'm gonna take that on. But you're not ready yet until the adversity comes on you. The fire is the only thing that proves you. Adversity is the only thing that proves you. That's it. And so the fire, they go into the fire, and now the vessel is useful. The vessel is now useful because it's been able to go through these processes. Your life cannot change. Your life cannot renew. If you stop at any of those processes, you know what you do? You go right back to the beginning. So if you're, if you're stuck at the point where junk keeps getting pulled out of you and you keep collapsing in on yourself, God will take you back. You'll go from the plop to the flop. You'll go from the stretching and the inconvenience, but you're getting stuck at the point where he's trying to deal with your inner world. You get stuck there, you know? And, or if, you, if every time he puts you in the furnace of adversity and he challenges you on your character and he challenges you on whatever commitments or some version of that and you crack, you're not useful. But the good news is that the Lord will keep working with you. But you cannot be confused as to how he works. He told Jeremiah, go look at the potter. I'm going to show you how I work. I'm going to show you what I do. Everybody thinks it's a straight run. Woo! I just graduated Bible school. I'm ready. Are you? Are you? Are you really? You know, or whatever, whatever it is. I, I, I don't know what it is. It's the same thing in marriage. God does the same thing in marriage. He wants to form the marriage into a useful vessel. He takes both of them and starts spinning them, applying pressure, stretching them, forcing them to deal with their junk, putting the marriage through adversities and trials to see if it can handle the pressure and the cracks. He does it. 
because he wants marriage to be a useful vessel. He wants your business, your career, your whatever it is, your life, whatever area of your life, I can assure you the Lord is working in some way. And the only way he will work with you at all is if you ask him. It's important to know too, God's not doing anything by default. You have to ask him. God don't, he doesn't do what he's not asked to do. He doesn't show up where he's not wanted and he doesn't do what he's not want, what you don't ask him to do. You know, I tell people this all the time. You don't want the Lord in your marriage? Don't worry, he won't be there. He won't be in your marriage. He'll be over your marriage, but he's not gonna be in your marriage until you invite him in there. You don't want him in your business? Don't worry, he won't be in there. You have to invite him. You don't want him in your life? Don't worry, he won't be there. You have to invite him. He does not do what he's not asked and he only does what he's invited to do. You invite him into partnership and the Lord comes in and he starts making you through this process. The spinning, the pressure, the stretching, the cleansing, the ornamentation, and the testing of fire to produce you into something that's useful. You know what's amazing? Is that they find pots that are thousands of years old. Pots that have endured through generations. Legacy pots that tell a story. Don't you want your life to be something that has a legacy to it? Doesn't, aren't you want your, you, want, you, want, you know, God will do, it's, it's so it's amazing, you know? He can make you into something that generations can speak of. He can do something in your life to where your grandchildren are saying, look at what, what, what the Lord did with my grandmother. Some of you have that story. Aurora, you are that woman, you know? You're, you're, you're the matriarch of the household. She's a woman of faith. They may not value you till you're singing with Jesus, but by God, you're that now. You pray for your grandchildren. It's an, it's an issue of faith. God wants that type of legacy. Some of you have that ancestor. Some of you are here today because you had a praying parent, praying grandparent, praying great-grandma. You know, Roberts was here and he said, my great-grandma and my grandma prayed for me. He said, that's the only reason I can tell you I'm standing here. Makes no sense. Makes no sense. So he can, he can take your marriage and he can say, wow. He can take your life and say, wow. He can take any, any area of your life and say, wow. I could tell you more stories, but I won't. Fire adversity, where you have to change in order to be fit for use. Hopefully this makes sense to you. And you know, and, and some of you, you're like, I knew it. I knew God was working. Just because I felt dizzy, I knew he was working. Yeah? And, but we, we believe stories from other people that tell you God's not, well, if you're dizzy, God's not working. If you feel this pressure, the Lord may not be in it. I'm like, where did you do that research, bro? That's not coming from the Bible. That's Dr. Phil. That's not necessarily Dr. Jesus. So I just want to encourage you with that. I want to encourage you to make these changes, push into an area this year. Let God begin to spin your life. Let him begin to spin you. Because when he's spinning you, he's doing something that would never happen any other way. Let him change you. Don't be afraid of the pressure. Don't be afraid of the pressure that he's applying on you. His hands are on you. That's what's interesting. Is when the pressure's happening, his hands are right on you. And he's looking right at you. He's not anywhere. You think he's gone. He's right there. He's got you. He's got you. He's going to pull you. He's going to pull you. Don't be afraid of the inconvenience. That's the biggest thing I see, man, in American Christians is this lack, this, uh, this like unbelievable desire to not be inconvenienced. If it puts them out in any way, if they're inconvenienced in any way, no, no, God should convenience me. I should never inconvenience for the Lord. The Lord should always inconvenience himself for me. That's, that's such a flipped paradigm, you know? It's not true. We need to honor the Lord and we need to follow these things. Don't feel the stretching. God's gonna stretch you. He's gonna push you into areas that you've never been. He's gonna call you to areas of service, areas of life, areas of change. Let him stretch you. 
deal with your junk, man. You want more? I want more of you, Jesus. I hear that all the time. I want more of you. I want more of you. I want more anointing. I want more infilling. I'm like, you want more anointing? You want more infilling? You better start pulling the junk out of you. You look like a pot, but there's a, you know, nothing's ever been pulled out of that pot. You got to hollow out the pot in order for it to possess more of, of, of anything. You want more anointing? You want more power? Hollow it out, man. Empty me. Take everything out of me. I hold nothing. My fears, my doubts, my worries, my distrust, my anger, my pain, my shame, my guilt, my hopelessness, whatever it is, Lord, hollow it out of me because I want more of you. Yeah? Amen? <laughs> All right. We'll have a prayer team. I'm a little over. Not too bad, but I am a little over. I don't know where my clock is, but I'm a little over. But I love you, you know? You guys love me? Yeah. yeah. Yes. People tell me, don't apologize. I'm just time conscious, that's all. Time conscious. I have a lot to say. Jesus has a lot to say to you. A lot to say to you. He longs to speak to you. Longs to talk to you. Longs to do it. He could spend all day just talking with you. All day just being with you. That's how much he loves you. We have a prayer team available if you need prayer. I want to give you an opportunity to connect to some of the life group tables, which I probably talked to you right out the door on that. But anyway, let me bless you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down.